Jesus, we are here to exalt you, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He who was dead and is alive evermore. You who have won the victory, who have proven that you are, through the resurrection, the very Son of the living God. Proven that you are the God who keeps his promises. For you said you would come and die, and three days later you would rise. We are here to exalt you this morning. I'm asking that it's now in the next period of time here that you would help us to just consider the evidence of history related to the influential, transformational impact that that first Easter morning has had. And then to bring it right to our own heart. Pray that you would do that through your spirit, through your truth. Keep me out of the way. Let Jesus be exalted in this place as he has already been. In his name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, I feel like we've already had church, and if we just dismissed, we would still be on the winning side. So what I want to do is I just want to say some things to complement the truth that has already been communicated the truth regarding the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the concept that we've seen, we've seen in video, we've talked about in song, the concept is this. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Changes everything. So what I want to do is I want to just take you right back to the day and start with some changes that took place immediately related to the resurrection, some radical changes in some individuals, and then I want to carry that forward and just take a couple snapshots down through history. Snapshots that paint a compelling picture of the radical transformation brought about by that first Easter morning when the stone was rolled away. The first radical change Incredible evidence that we see for the radical change of the resurrection is in Jesus Christ's first followers. Just direct your attention 
to them, specifically to his 12 apostles. These were men who, leading right up to the crucifixion, had boldly promised their undying, unfading loyalty to him. And a few hours later, those same men deserted him and denied him and denied him loudly and denied him venomously, even one with profanity to drive his point of denial home. Then came the resurrection. And the resurrection had an immeasurable impact upon those men who had just been cowards. Jesus appeared to them as they were hiding behind closed doors, and from that moment forward, they were never the same again. The profane denier became the bold preacher. Peter. The fleeing deserters became passionate evangelists who carried the message of Christianity that caught fire and swept across to that kingdom like wildfire. And what was the message that they took. Basically, you can boil it down to three words, and you can read it in several of the messages given right in the New Testament by these apostles, and the message was simply this, He is alive. He is alive. The reality of that changed everything for them. It turned their vehement denials into bold proclamations. It turned their flight into worship. It turned their fear of death into martyrdom. History tells us that at least 10 of the 12 apostles died a martyr's death, some brutal martyr's death because they refused, refused to stop talking about the fact that Jesus was alive. Why the change? There's only one explanation. It's because they saw him alive. That's the only thing that makes sense. And it's their own testimony. Listen to the bold preacher, the leader of the twelve, and what he said about the resurrection 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, what they found in the resurrection was an unshakable reason to live for Christ and if needed, to die for Christ. Because death had lost its power in the resurrection. Let's talk about another man, first century. 
This man's story is, in my opinion, the greatest transformed life in all of Scripture. His name was Saul who became Paul. He was Christ's most adamant, most ardent enemy. He was zealous in his pursuit to search out those who are followers of Christ, and to persecute them, to throw them in prison, to put them to death. And on one of his persecution trips, he had an encounter with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and he was forever changed. The Saul, who was a persecutor, became the Paul, who became Christ's most ardent disciple, most disciplined follower, most prolific church planner, most zealous evangelist, most prolific author of truth, who gave us a large portion of the New Testament. He who sought to kill followers of Christ was beheaded because of his bold proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why the difference? Here is what he wrote, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 through 18. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. You see, death to him was just nothing more than falling asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. You see, because Christ was risen, he knew that nothing could separate him from the Lord. And that death really just became the threshold over which he would step into eternal life. A transformation was categorical in his life. Evidence that the resurrection changes everything. Look at his first followers. Evidence that the resurrection changes everything. Number two, look at the first church. Look at the emergence of the first church. Within 400 years, the message that was preached by the apostles and by Paul and then carried forth by those who were caught up in its truth, within 400 years, Christianity had spread throughout and dominated the Roman Empire, the ruling empire of the world. What was the impetus behind that change? It was one simple profound message, Jesus is alive. 
Jesus is alive. It was the message that they continually preached. Here's the way Paul himself wrote to the church at Corinth, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the message. Here's the first important message right here. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. What was the message? Jesus died for sin, just like the Scriptures said, and then He rose again. And I'm telling you it's true because I've seen Him, and the others have seen Him, and 500 at one time have seen Him. He's alive. And that message spread like wildfire. And that first century world was turned upside down by it. Changed everything. How about history over the last 2,000 years? Let me just give you a couple snapshots, a couple factual pieces of history related to the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus came to make everything new. I know that under the banner of Christianity, there have been some atrocious things perpetrated in his name. But remember the words of Christ who said and who taught there will be tares among the wheat. Not all who have claimed the name and done the acts have been followers of Christ doing his will. But think about what has been done by those in his name, how history has been impacted. Let's just take some areas Let's take the arts. Really, the impact here, it is beyond estimation. If you are a follower of the arts, be it music, be it uh, painting, sculpting, the greatest works of history, think about those that have been influenced because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just list just a few. Michelangelo, the Genesis fresco, the creation of Adam in the last judgment. Raphael, the Sistine Madonna, the transfiguration. Leonardo da Vinci, the Last Supper. Michelangelo sculptures, Pieta and David. David considered to be the greatest sculpt in the history of mankind. How about Bach and the symphony? His symphony in Mass in B minor is argued to be the single greatest musical piece of human 
history of all time, in any genre, and any style. George Frederick Handel, Handel's Messiah. Another one of the greatest musical pieces of history, and in that is the great piece of the Hallelujah Chorus. None of them would have been created. They wouldn't have been painted, sculpted, composed had it not been for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ who inspired those men. So the arts consider, secondly, the rise of modern science. The impact of the resurrection of Christ, of Christianity on the rise of modern science. You ever thought about the fact that the science rose in the West and not the East? Why is that? Some notable men have said this, modern science could not have been born and would not have been born except in the Christian paradigm. Pioneering scientists. These are men who were devoutly Christian and who saw their work as an act of worship to the Creator. And they saw in creation an ordered creation and an orderly creation. And they sought to explore its laws. Under God's inspiration, men like Newton and Pastor and Pascal and Flemings and Edwards. Number three, the development of higher education. The Puritans were 95% literate. Universities really started as seminaries, but the first 100 universities on America, the, out of the first 110 universities on American soil, 100 of them. Or Christian universities. 100 out of 110. Consider the social change, the impact of the social change that is directly result of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just give you some examples of this. This could, if I had the knowledge and intelligence and you had the time, we could just stay right here and just, just give example after example down through history. Let me just give you a couple. In the early church, 252 A.D., Christians in Corinth saved that city from the plague. For those that begin to experience it, were just drug into the streets and left there. And the Christians, because of their love for Christ and their humanitarian heart for those created in the image of God, they went to the streets and they 
cared for them and took care of them. The early Christians in opposition were in opposition to the killing of children and the degrading of women and the gladiator battles and slavery. The story of Telemachus. Telemachus was a monk in the first few centuries. A fifth century bishop wrote a history of the first four or five centuries of the church. And in that history, he talks about what caused the the games, as they were called, in the great Colosseum to be ended, those games that were battles for the entertainment of the masses to bloody death. What caused them to end? Well, he writes about a man by the name of Telemachus who made a long journey from the east to come to Rome. And upon arriving at Rome, he saw the great Colosseum and the spectacle being enacted there for the entertainment of the people. And he was so gripped by its atrocity that he made his way down to the arena floor in the middle of the battle. seeking to stop those who were slaughtering each other for the entertainment of the crowd. And the crowd, the spectators in the Colosseum became incensed. They were infuriated that this this monk was interrupting their entertainment and filled with the bloodlust from watching the slaughter, the spectators rose up themselves and stoned the monk to death. The emperor, when he learned of that event, three days later he classified Telemachus as a victor's martyr, and he put an end to the unpious spectacle of the games. The impact of the social reform, Telemachus was motivated by his love for Christ, his belief in the resurrection of Christ, Let's continue. Just think about the Reformation. Take time to talk about that, but the social and religious shift that took place because of the Reformation. Men like Luther and Zwingli. Think about 
Gutenberg and Gutenberg's Bible and the printing press. The invention of the printing press so that it could print the Bible and get it into the hands of the people. What an impact. Consider next the influence on American education. Do you know what the main piece of teaching literature was for the first hundred years of the American school system? It was the Bible. It was the primer. It is what they studied and from which they got the principles that they reinforced. And no wonder this country became a great country. How far we have come. Consider the influence of the revivals of Wesley and Whitfield. Millions of conversions in Great Britain. And when Wesley preached, oh, the impact of his life, John Wesley. Wesley preached and brought Christianity into the message of social reform. That it was the answer for life and for the ills of society. He was an adamant abolitionist against slavery. And his influence was vast. It was one of the keys that eventually brought an end to slavery in Great Britain. Consider this connection. Wilberforce, you've heard of that name, and Buxton and Clark. They were all three key leaders that were influential in finally abolishing slavery in Great Britain. Devoutly Christian men, the deep commitment to Christ and a belief in His resurrection is what motivated them the inherent value of mankind and kept them persevering until they had won the day. All three of those men were saved under John Wesley's ministry. What an impact on the culture. Resurrection changes everything. You heard of the name Harriet Beecher Stowe. She wrote a little book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. A book that at first had 300,000 copies printed and fully distributed, eventually selling 40 million. And that book, on American soil, and that American author, was the, a key centerpiece to the ending of slavery on this continent right here. 
Abraham Lincoln, when he met her, here is what he said. So this is the little lady who made this big war, referring to the Civil War that ended slavery. So what influenced Harriet Beecher Stowe? Her daddy was a preacher. Her husband was a preacher. All of her brothers were preachers. She had a deep commitment and belief in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was her motivation. Think about the Third Great Awakening, 1858 to 1859. Resulted in a great number of missionary organizations and benevolent organizations. You just list three of them. Bernardo's Homes, that's the world's largest orphanage system. You'll recognize these two. William Booth, founder of Salvation Army. Henry Dunant, a student evangelist who founded a little organization called the Red Cross. Missionaries William Carey and Forward. The impact that they had wherever they went. Christian Missionary Society. Just one fact, it's literacy program. 200,000 in East Africa in one generation were taught to read through that organization. Social impact. They were men who secured the abolition of widow burning and child sacrifice. They founded the educational systems in China and Japan and Korea. Wow. I heard a story this morning between services. Or before the first service. We have just a little missionary impact that we've had in Guatemala and in Africa. Just had a vision years ago to provide some training for some pastors there that lived out in far remote villages that had one of them met me there on a trip and said, ask him what he wanted. He walked 20 miles with a chicken. Ask him what he wanted. He wanted to give me a gift, and he said, I want a Bible. I want a Bible. Didn't have a Bible. God burned that into my heart, and through a series of events, we had a conference there and bought libraries for about 20-some pastors in the outlying hills. And from that has grown 40-some churches. I just, the gentleman tell me this morning, just came back from a trip, but all the 
children from these mountain villages were gathered down into the main city hub at the church there. And when it was time to read the Word, they reached down and pulled out their Bibles. They all had Bibles. Lives changed. Folks, that's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of that, that's all great stories, but you know what? It's just academics. It's just facts. It's impotent to you unless you deal with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ yourself. So the last question I want to ask and answer is this. What change can the resurrection of Jesus Christ accomplish in you? This list could be almost endless. I'll just give you a few high points. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes death into life. Death into life. You see, the story of the Bible is this, that because of our sin, we are dead in sin. That means separated from a holy, just God. And in that dead state, we can do nothing to help ourselves. And in that guilty state, we are condemned and under the wrath of the holy God who in His righteousness must punish sin. But the truth of the resurrection is that Jesus, who came back from the dead after having paid the penalty for sin, that that resurrected Lord Jesus Christ can give us right here, right now, a brand new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see what you need is you need to be in Jesus Christ. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and then the penalty that He paid for sin is credited to your account and you are no longer dead in sin, but through His victory over death, you are made alive again. You are taken from death to life, from estrangement with God to peace with God from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. A brand new existence. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes helplessness into power. Helplessness into power. Without Christ, you and I are slaves to sin. We can do nothing to get victory over 
sin and our sinful nature, a nature and an activity that controls our mind and dictates our actions. We are in bondage as slaves to that. Scripture is very clear, and your experience in life has already taught you that. But it doesn't have to be that way because of the resurrection. Romans 6, 4, we were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, that's talking about right here, right now. That's not talking about on the final day in glory. That's saying right here, right now, we can walk because of the resurrection of Christ in the newness of life. Not in the old way, in bondage to sin. And what gives us the power to do that? Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It was the spirit of God that gave the power to resurrect Christ from the dead. And if you're a believer in Christ, the very same Spirit lives in you, and that same Spirit with that same power can give power to your life to walk in newness of life, not in bondage, not in slavery, not in hopelessness or impotency, but in power. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, number three, changes doubt to confidence. Doubt to confidence. 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he who raised Christ, the Lord Jesus, will raise also us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Do you hear the confidence that Paul is writing about there? He said, I know this. Because Christ has been raised, I know that I know that I know that if we are in Him, we are also going to be raised together to be with Him. Romans 6, 5, for if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. You see, the, the confidence in the resurrection is that Jesus can do what he promised to do. He said, I'm going to die, and in three days later, I'm going to rise again. He said it many times to his disciples before he died. And then he died, and they were despondent and depressed, and then the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ showed up, and they were forever changed because they knew the power was true, and the promise was true. And so they would write and say, Jesus was raised from the dead, and that tells me this, if I'm in him, so will I be. It takes doubt and turns it into confidence. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes judgment into reward judgment into reward. Do you know that each one of us are going to stand 
before Christ on the final day and give an account of our life. That is where history is headed. The one who will be the judge on that day will be the one who paid for sin through his death and defeated death and hell and rose again. Listen, Acts 17, 31. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, what that verse says is that the teaching of Jesus Christ about the day that's coming is true teaching. God has proven it. He has given assurance that He is the one that will be the judge, and He proved it by raising Him from the dead. Scripture talks about, talks about in John 5, talks about in Revelation, talks about two resurrections. One resurrection unto life and one resurrection unto judgment. And the difference between the two is whether or not when you die, you're in Christ. Those who die in Christ will be raised unto life. The resurrection unto life. Those who die without Christ will be raised unto the judgment. John 5, 28 and 29, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Finally, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes mortality to immortality. Here's the cliff notes of that. We get a new body. <laughs> Everybody over 40 is pumped up right now. We get a brand new body, not a perishable mortal body, but an imperishable immortal body so that we can have an imperishable Immortal existence. No more cellulite. I'm going to have hair. First Corinthians 15. Paul wrote, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, all meaning all followers of Christ. For the trumpet will sound, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up 
in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We get a new body. Does the resurrection really change everything? Yes, it does. I'm going to read one more verse that says precisely that. And it also gives you the application point of what you must do so that you can get in on the change that the resurrection offers. Acts 3, 19 to 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. God has always said that when the Christ returns, all things are going to be restored. The resurrection really does change, really will change everything. And what you can do right now to get in on the change is that you need to repent. You need to recognize that you are a sinner in need of the Savior, the one Savior, the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid for sin by His willing, accomplished, sacrificial death that He had planned from before the creation of the world to come and die for you. And then He did just what He said He would do three days later, giving the infallible proof that He is who He claimed to be, the very Son of the living God. He rose from the dead. And the cry from that first resurrection morning when those ladies went to the tomb to pay their respects to a man dead that they had loved, found out that he was not dead anymore. And the message started. And the match was struck. And the power of the message of the resurrection has been rolling down through history, igniting a heart at a time, a life at a time, and when it does, it changes everything. And that same Lord Jesus Christ, through His Holy Spirit, is here today to offer you that change. That all you need to do is you need to recognize your need 
You need to come to him as a guilty, condemned sinner, and you need to throw yourself before him and in faith trust in who he is, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. And what he's done, paid the penalty for your sins and defeated death and hell in his resurrection. And you need to ask from him, the grace of forgiveness that he wants to give to you today. And if you will do that, everything will change. I don't mean everything will be perfect tomorrow, but it will be becoming perfect. And that process will never end until your last day and then on the final day when you see the Lord Jesus Christ, the perishable and the mortal will be swallowed up by the imperishable and you will get a new body and you will see Jesus and you will become like Him having seen Him as He is. That's a direct quote from the Word of God. So the offer is there for you today. Worship team, would you come? I'm going to ask you to stand, church. I'm going to say a prayer. Give you an opportunity. Accept Christ as your Savior this morning. Let this Easter 2012 be the one that you receive the change of the resurrection. Let's pray. Jesus, I am I am just overwhelmed and humbled again even, even right now just thinking about the power of that moment and what it has meant for this little rebellious world in the corner of your universe. Thinking about the resurrection and how it changed me. Oh, I'm far from perfect, but I hate to even think about what I would be. if you had not gotten a hold of me. Surely it is true that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I remember your words that say, where you said, no one can come to the Father no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Praying that you've been doing that and are doing it right now. That those that are here, who entered here, guilty and dead in their sin, that you would regenerate them and give them the faith to see and believe in who Jesus is.
is and what he offers through his death and resurrection. God is giving you that revelation this morning, that faith to believe. I'm just going to encourage you. It's not the words of the prayer. It's the, it's the intent of your heart. You just pray something like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I, I'm here this morning and I'm just recognizing in a way that I've never recognized before that Easter's for me that you died for me, for my sin. And I'm here to admit my guilt and my need in humility before you. And I put my faith in you. I trust you. I do believe that you died for sin and rose to new life. I do believe that you are the Son of God who came to save me. And I'm asking you to give me your forgiveness, that free gift of grace. Make me brand new, as 2 Corinthians 5 17 says, give me a brand new life. And then give me the power of the person of the Holy Spirit to begin to live that in a way that honors you. And when I fail and my humanity continue to draw me, do the good work, that you began right here this morning until that final day. Lord, I know that your word says that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Of all the confidence in the world that that is going to happen. For those who have made a commitment here today and for those who have made a commitment before this day and are in process of that sanctification, and I'm just thanking you for what you're doing right here right now and in our lives. Thank you. Give you glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.